0: Hi, this is Glenda Canfield with VirtualizationPractice.com. You can uh, follow me at CitrixGirl.com, I mean, I'm, I'm sorry, at, on Twitter at CitrixGirl or on Twitter at Glenda Canfield. I am here speaking with Steve Kaplan. Uh, he ha- is with Nutanix. He's the VP of Strategic Sales. He's been with them for approximately three years, but he has had a very long and illustrious career. And Pretty much everybody in the industry knows who this man is, and if you don't, you need to look it up. So I want to hand the floor over to Steve uh, or Stephen, and allow him to uh, give us a, a brief rundown of uh, where he comes from and how he got to where he's at. Steven?
1: sure. Thanks, Glenda. <clears throat> well, actually, uh, not a lot of people know this, but I used to work for a, a large convenience store chain in, in finance, and started buying the PCs for the company and. That's when I first started becoming enamored with PCs. I, the, I, I got the very first PC, a, a Radio Shack TRS-80 in the whole company. Nobody knew how to use it, so uh, um, I went over and figured out how to use it and fell in love with it and went through 13 PCs by the time I, I left to start my own business uh, with my brother. And uh, we started a business selling IBM clones and morphed into a Novell uh, Platinum reseller and then morphed into a, a Citrix. Um, uh, partner a uh, Citrix partner reseller. we saw where the the first Citrix partner of the year for the United States and sold that and worked for the guys who bought it and worked for the guys who bought that company and then started another business around uh, vmware consulting uh, and uh, you know this time uh, uh, my partner and I had a different partner uh, we were we had a business plan in place to to start a, a vmware business and and gain a, a national reputation for uh, expertise, and then sell out to some big channel partner who was trying to get into virtualization, and, and it all worked perfectly. We sold up to three years, and uh, worked for the company that bought that, and then worked for uh, the Presidio that bought that company, and um, I was uh, pretty happy what I was doing, and uh, moved up to Tahoe, but uh, Nutanix uh, came calling, and uh, when they first approached me, they had 50 employees. and I thought, well, this is pretty amazing technology, but, but how often does a 50-person company have a prayer against the multibillion-dollar giants who dominate the data center business? But as I, as I watched Nutanix grow rapidly over the next year and watched what we're, they were doing, uh, I became convinced that they were actually going to do it. They were going to revolutionize the, the, the data center space, and, and so I joined. Uh,
0: can you give us a, a brief overview of what Nutanix does? What what that pro, what the core product is before we get into kind of what your role is there?
1: Sure. So Nutanix really pioneered, and popularized the, the the hyperconverged infrastructure platform. So taking servers and uh, we're aggregating the the local disk and local flash of the different servers using a distributed file system uh, so that uh, you can run virtualized workloads without having to have dedicated storage, without having to have a dedicated SAN. And um, one of our co-founders came from from Google, who, where he developed, uh, him and another team of scientists, developed the the Google infrastructure. And it's really the same type of idea, commoditized hardware, share-nothing, distributed file system, aggregating uh, all the storage uh, for virtualized workloads. And, um, you know, it's just been phenomenally successful. And, and since, uh, you know, Nutanix has, has become very popular out there, there are now, by my count, 32 different organizations offering hyper-converged solutions, uh, a lot of industry uh, legacy giants, and a lot of startups uh, but uh, Nutanix is, is you know, named by uh, Gartner and, and IDC and, and Wikibon as, as by far and away the leader in this space, the visionary leader. And, uh, and we continue to just uh, you know, absolutely break new ground. For us, hyperconvergence was really table stakes. Now we're really on to what we term as invisible infrastructure, making uh, infrastructure truly transparent for IT, so they can focus on, on the business and on, on applications and, and making the, the, the business more profitable. Uh,
0: from, from what I understand, you guys were one of the first um, hardware manufacturers that actually adopted the um, virtual, GP, uh, virtual GPU uh, when it first came out. Have you guys um, gotten a lot of traction off of that?
1: Well, you know, just one clarification. We don't manufacture hardware. You know, we, we OEM uh, the appliances that we sell ourselves, and, and then Dell also OEMs Nutanix software uh, for their XC line. Uh, so, we're, you know, we're a software company, uh, but you have to deliver software some way, so we deliver it through hardware that we can control because we want to ensure that whether it's our appliance or Dell's appliance that the customers have an, an iPhone-like experience um, yeah, the GPU has been uh, absolutely successful. We, we had some early big uh, deployments in, in the VDI space, and uh, as, the, as the cost continues to come down, especially uh, uh, the uh, GPU uh, continues to, to be an important driver for us. Uh, VDI space overall has been, you know, great for us. It was really our first use case. In, um, in fact, in 2011, we won the Best of the Emerald Gold Award for VDI before we'd even shipped yet. Uh, now VDI is a, is a minority of our use cases. Uh, you know, we've expanded to the enterprise and and all the you know SQL and Exchange and so on. But it still is an important use case for us. And and the great thing about it is that, that customers can get all the benefits of of VDI and save money in the process using Nutanix. So uh, GPU is, is an important driver.
0: Well, have you guys um, are you guys working with Citrix with the um, Zen Server and um Their terminal services, um, you know, ZenApp product as well, because I know that it does. The uh, virtual GPU does also work in terminal server environments. um, As far as sharing GPU, Um, are you guys kind of looking into that space as well, or are you just strictly focusing on VMware?
1: No, we're we're very close partners with Citrix actually, um, uh, and and do a tremendous amount together and, and. uh, yeah, we're working with them on server. They also uh, support our hypervisor called Acropolis, um, which is is kind of a next gen type of hypervisor. We look at the at the hypervisor. You know, everybody's talked about the hypervisor becoming commoditized for years, and uh, we think that day has arrived. It's the sheet metal of the data center, and uh, you know, like Sadi uh, the the global VP of sales, says that if you got uh, Diane Green and Mendel Rosenblum and, and Ed Bunyan, the, the co-founders of VMware, into a room today and asked them to build a hypervisor. It would look nothing like ESX. ESX was designed for a world of effect storage arrays and was built to handle hundreds of, you know, tens of thousands of of hardware and hardware driver and switch fabric combinations. You know, so what, so what we did is because we control the stack, we took KVM and, and stripped out the entire storage services layer, uh, so which much very very simple. You don't even need to know it needs no virtualization to run it. You just uh, run it through uh, Nutanix Prism, and it's uh, extro- extraordinarily secure. It's extraordinarily scalable, and, uh, and Citrix supports it now. So it's a you know it's a it's a particularly great fit for uh, Citrix XenApp uh, and, and VDI environments, and also NetScaler supports it. Um, and uh, we, we have definitely have some great traction going there with Citrix.
0: Groovy. Okay. So, now, you are VP of Strategic Sales. What does that
1: translate to? <laughs> um, you know, when I, when I started at Nutanix, when I, when I started at Nutanix, it was kind of almost uh, uh, because it was still so small when I joined. I was kind of de facto, uh, at least, co-running alliances. I was officially VP of channels and strategic sales. And uh, as the company grew, uh, you know, we got a whole big alliances team and, um, the channels uh, team uh, uh, grew to the point where I realized that we really needed to bring in you know some true experts who who knew how to build it up on a global basis and would give me the chance to focus on my very favorite thing which is uh, you know we call it strategic sales but what it really is is financial modeling uh, using ROI and TCO analysis to help customers understand the implications of of, of new technology and uh, and and help help them you know uh, Analyze their environment uh, from an e- economic perspective, and 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 make the best decision for their environment. Right.
0: Well, and I know you guys have had a lot of success in like the government vertical. What other verticals are um, you know actively adopting you know uh, new and its <laughs> good, you know solutions?
1: Well, you know all of the ver- you know I mean we're we're definitely a mass market solution across all verticals across all geos. Um, we're, we're definitely you know heavy in the in the mid market and enterprise market and global two thousand um, market. Uh, the federal government is, is certainly one of our our biggest verticals. So is state and local uh, government, education, uh, healthcare, uh, finance, all you know very big verticals. Manufacturing, retail, um, and uh, you know again as we grow very rapidly, growing young company, we continue to uh, build in. Um, you know, teams to, to focus on those groups. Uh, when I was running channels, uh, for instance, a service provider uh, team, which was one guy, was, was under me. Now I think that team is up to, you know, 14, 15 people and, and spun off on its own. Uh, so, yes, service providers is another big vertical for us. It's a, Nutanix is a fantastic fit for service providers uh, because, you know, it's a pay-as-you-grow model. They don't have to buy a big honking array and stick it in there. They just just grow off their environment as they obtain customers.
0: Now, are you talking about value-added resellers, or are you talking about hosting service providers?
1: Hosting service providers, although, you know, I would say that most – that that may may be an exaggeration, but a lot of of partners, especially the bigger partners, do have their own hosting services at this point.
0: Yeah, it makes sense. Um, You know, everybody's starting to make their money off the services. There's been a shift in the industry that way. So – What's the difference between, you know, you being the VP of strategic, um, you know, sales and channels and just being the VP of, you know, the um, strategic, you know, uh, the, the strategic VP? So you're not dealing with the channel anymore or now you're global? What's what's the difference?
1: Yeah, the, yeah. actually, that's a good point. When I was uh, overseeing the channels, I was just North America. Now my role is global. Um and, and and yeah, I'm, I'm certainly very involved with the channel partners. I'm still very involved with the team, but it's on an ancillary basis. You know, we have just a phenomenal channels team and and uh, real pros that that um, uh, are, are, have built what I think is the best channel organization in the you know in the industry. Certainly, the best that I've ever seen. And uh, uh, but I, I work closely with them. I'll also be working closely with partners going forward to help them you know, use uh, TCO and ROI tools on their own. Uh, We've been developing the tools for some time now and trying to get them to the point where partners can can pick them up and use them on their own, which is really important for, in my opinion, for for partner business because, you know, as you said, everything is is transitioning and partners now really need to be advisors to their customers and help them uh, understand uh, you know the, the public cloud, the private cloud, and where they should place their workloads, and how they should manage them all, and how they should grow out their environment, and and how they can again automate things and uh, and reduce costs, and and be able to help their customers. You know, instead of spending 80 percent of their time babysitting hardware, uh, being able to free up their time so they can contribute true value to uh, the business. And as as the partners who are, in, in my opinion, the partners who are successful in that endeavor are going to be the ones that, that, that really thrive. Yeah.
0: Well, when you say automate, do you guys have scripts that you provide to your customers that they can edit, or are they responsible for, you know, creating their own scripts for automation?
1: Yeah, we don't really get today anyway into the, you know, orchestration layer. Um, we, you know, we provide APIs and so on. But, but I guess by automate, you know, I really mean um, simplify would be a better term. Uh, okay. I mean, just as an example, um, I don't know if, if we were, I guess we were following each other on Twitter back then, but um, if, you, if you remember back to 2009 when uh, Cisco UCS first debuted, um, I was just—I was a raving fan, and I wrote an article back in 2009, uh, a blog post, um, that compared uh, UCS versus Matrix. In fact, it still shows up really high in Google search rankings all those years later. And, and at the time when UCS came out, everybody was panning it, and and the industry pundits were saying, you know, Cisco doesn't know anything about servers, and it's a really cutthroat, low-margin business. Uh, you know, their salespeople who don't know how to sell it, partners don't know what to do with it. It's never going to be successful. And in and, and my article, I, I, my blog post, I said that you don't understand. Uh, UCS was built under the direction of Ed Bunyan, who I mentioned earlier, one of VMware's founders, uh, uh, and it was the only hardware platform at the, at the, of the day designed specifically for hosting a virtualized infrastructure. And virtualization back then was still, uh, when, when UCS was conceived anyway, was, was still pretty new. And um, even in 2009 when it debuted, it was still you know, not really the standard out there. But, but in my, my blog post, I said virtualization is clearly going to become the standard, and UCS is just going to kill it because of, of the innovations they 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 bring to the environment, um, which which they did. UCS, uh, I think, is is number one or number two in the world now for for blade servers, and um, you know it's it, it's kind of become the standard because it really simplified a lot of the challenges around running a virtualized data center from the compute side. But what happened is is you know Nutanix brought over what we call web scale technology, brought over the the, the, the technology that, that Google pioneered and brought it to the enterprise, we've kind of taken simplification to a whole new level. First of all, we bring in storage, which is you know 70% of the, of the challenges of a virtualized data center. But we've also eliminated a lot of the you know a lot of the elegance of that that UCS brought for the day. You know, as an example, Fibre Channel over Ethernet. When you don't have a switch fabric because you're running hyperconverged, uh, that Fibre Channel over Ethernet is you know of course uh, unnecessary. Or um, the GUI uh, that that lets the storage and the server teams collaborate efficiently together. So, you know, as an example, if the storage team is uh, about is um, about to um, over provision storage and, and take, or the, the server guys are about to over provision storage and, and take a LUN offline, the storage team can see them theoretically and and stop them. When you don't have LUNS, you don't have storage teams. Again, uh, all that kind of capability becomes unnecessary. So, Nutanix is really brought simplification, simplification to a whole new level. Even an upgrade, a, a firmware upgrade for for UCS, it's it very easy compared to a lot of the other platforms, but still, you know, the, the UCS guidelines, it's a 16-page guideline of how to do it. There are other blog posts out there about all the precautions to take and all the prep work to do and what to do if there's issues. You know, Nutanix, it's three mouse clicks, and you're not only upgrading your compute firmware, but also the storage firmware, uh, the the OS itself, and the hypervisor, whether that's ESX or uh, uh, Hyper-V or, or Acropolis. So it really has kind of transformed, uh, you know, like I said, transformed the experience of managing a virtualized data center, which today really means of managing IT.
0: So what you're saying is the storage is actually, um, you know, in the Nutanix, uh, you
1: know, a hardware appliance or, or um, uh, a blade, is that what you're saying? Yeah, it's so, so our, our, our appliances are servers, and the servers include a disk, spinning disk, and, and flash. And uh, there's algorithms to move the workloads back and forth between the flash and the disk. I should say with an exception, we do have one, one model that's all flash, Um, But most of our models, which are very numerous now, uh, have combinations of flash and disk. And as customers, you can mix and match, so you can grow your environment uh, in proportion to the disk and the CPU. You know what makes sense in your your, uh, in in your environment. But but you know, there's no um, SAN type of model where where you have an array and proprietary controller cards and and so on. Every every Nutanix. Uh, um, node is what we call it, the server. Every node has a virtualized storage controller uh, so it's running as a as a controller virtual machine. And and from a VDI perspective, again jumping back to VDI, that's another huge advantage. You know the the challenge with one of the one of the challenges with arrays uh, with two physical storage controllers is that as you start filling up those arrays, you start getting uh, with storage traffic, you start getting read storms and write storms, and, and that translates to an inconsistent user experience. And I don't know about you, Glenda, but um, you know, I, I always have told customers over the years that it's better off to, you're better off giving your users um, 100% mediocre experience than you are giving them an experience that's 95% excellent and 5% mediocre. Because the inconsistency right. just kills you know, users just hate that inconsistency, and, yeah. uh, and, and that's almost unavoidable. Unless you just got, you know, three, keep throwing more and more money at it, it's almost unavoidable with, with uh, a, a conventional array, with two physical storage controllers. Uh, with Nutanix, uh, since every node is a virtualized storage controller, as you grow your environment, you get this perfectly linear uh, performance capability.
0: Gotcha. Well, you know, I worked at HP, I was in R&D at HP when um, UCS came out, and I remember that um, the server team, uh, the R&D server team, or that, that, you know, the business unit that the R&D service team lived in was really, really torqued off and had a lot of really angry conversations with Cisco about them, you know, not uh, staying in their own lane, and Cisco was basically like, talk to the hand. It was pretty (laughs) funny it was pretty funny um but you know like, to get back to you specifically I, you know you are a published author you've written a lot of um you know I, I know I've got at least um one of your books I don't know how many books in total that you've written and published but um like the O'Reilly stuff but are you continuing to write um how you know what's going on with that
1: yeah you know all my books have been co-authored uh, ten of them so far um seven on Citrix, and three on VMware um, uh, because, you know, uh, I'm, pretty, I'm okay at the business stuff, but uh, uh, I've written with very, very smart co-authors on the technical side. Um, I, my last book is, you know, to show you it's kind of dated vCloud Director, although I do see VCD all of a sudden popping up frequently again. I had not seen it for a few years now, but, um, but, but the vCloud Director is my last book. Uh, that being said, I'm, I, I am actually um, in process right now of, of writing a book around um, uh, financial modeling uh, for IT purchase decisions in the era of hyperconvergence and cloud. And uh, you know, I have a couple folks for contributing chapters and so on. Um, so that will be my next book. And I also wrote the series of, of virtual man comic books, and uh, I wrote those all on my own too. That's kind of indicative of my uh, 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 level of technical sophistication. <laughs>
0: well, I think it's indicative of your nerdy side. But right. moving on, you know, you're kind of known as the, um, you know, return on investment guy and the total cost of ownership guy. Um, you've always been like, you know, REO, um, RIO dude um, as long as I've known you. So, um, you know, what's your role as far as, I mean, it. Do you spend a lot of time talking to your customers when you do have Facetime with them, explaining the total cost of ownership and what the return on investment is, and that sort of thing?
1: Yeah, I spend all my time doing that, (laughs) Uh, and not only to customers but to partners and and even to our our own folks. And you know, I actually came up with a mnemonic recently to help people understand the difference between ROI and TCO because a lot of uh, people are kind of confused or use the terms interchangeably, and and they're very different and. Uh, the mnemonic goes: uh, when competing versus status quo, use ROI, not TCO. So, in other words, uh, you know, if if you have a status quo environment and your decision, uh, let's say, for example, you're considering um, uh, uh, virtualizing your desktops. So, your 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 decision is whether to remain physical or to virtualize. That, that's a perfect ROI example because you're making an investment in the technology that you need to virtualize your, your desktops. And so you can see uh, what kind of return you're going to get and, and you compare that against you know, buying new trucks for the business or new factory equipment or whatever. It's a, it's a very common metric used throughout industry. Uh, TCO, total cost of ownership, was uh, popularized uh, by Gartner, I think, in the 90s. And uh, that's kind of a different metric. It's really used more for comparing two different t- Technologies uh, when you're when you know you're going to make an investment, you have got to decide which way you're going to go. So, for example, uh, an organization's maybe uh, virtualized their uh, their servers already, and they've done it on legacy equipment, and, and it's getting old, and now they need to decide: uh, do we upgrade to a new V-block or FlexPod or a Nutanix architecture? And and TCO is a great model to help them do that because you know to, uh, hyperconvergence is very. Different type of um, of, of technology than, than people are used to. I Henry Ford uh, used to say that uh, if he had asked his customers what they wanted, they would have told him faster horses. And <laughs> you know, the, the challenge for a lot of IT folks—not even maybe so much IT, but the finance and the purchasing folks—is that you know they understandably are looking through at the data center through the lens of three-tier infrastructure, and by three-tier I mean Centralized storage and storage network and uh, servers. You know what they're used to. So, you know, all the time I'll get questions like, "What's your cost per gigabyte?" or "What's the cost of a Nutanix pod?" or, or you know, "I want to buy. Uh, I'm going to do VDI over the next three years, but I want to, I want to buy everything I need up front." Um, so these these questions that that no longer have relevance in a hyperconverged world. They make all kinds of sense in, in legacy three tier. But in a hyperconverged world, they're they're almost nonsensical. So I spend a lot of my time, um, you know, kind of getting customers to understand how the technology is so different, and and uh, getting them to look at their environment over instead of just upfront purchase. Let's look at it over five years, and let's look at not just the cost of the equipment, but of, of rack space and power and cooling and switch fabric Management. and administration. Or exactly, right and, uh, administration. Um, and, um, and even sometimes, you know, cost of downtime and disaster recovery and, and business productivity, you know, it depends what um, they feel comfortable with quantifying what, um, you know, we, we, we typically, we never have to go that far <laughs> to show the value. But I, I always believe in, in knowing as much about your environment as possible from an economic perspective, identifying your objectives, and, 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 and building out your IT environment within the context of the objectives you're trying to achieve. Too many times people just come at it from a technology standpoint and skip all the, you know, the why of what they're doing. And, and so a big part of my role is also is to get customers to think about that. You know, uh, why are you going to uh, big data? Um, what, are you, what are your objectives you hope to achieve by virtualizing your desktops? And, you know, we kind of work backwards from there.
0: What's your five-year plan is what you're talking about.
1: Yeah, yeah, you know, what's your immediate plan and what's your five-year plan? What's, and, and what's your environment going to look like over five years? You know, are you static? Do you have 1,000 server VMs today and you're going to have 1,000 server VMs five years from now? Or are you growing 20% a year? Because the answer to that question makes a huge difference in the type of, of architecture you may decide to deploy. Yeah,
0: and once something makes a home in the data center, uh, it's going to be there for a while. It starts to evict them, you know. You can't just, you know... Uh, repossess (laughs) their hardware, (laughs) you know, like somebody can repossess a house. So, um, yeah, it's hard to get stuff out of the data center once it's in. But you did mention VBlock, and I have a question for you because, you know, I've run into a few situations in data centers, and VBlock had, you know, originally were supposed to be like the VCE thing was supposed to be, you know, pre-configured. All you do is park it in your data center, and it works like magic. And it seems like it's turned into this deal where every single environment has to be, you know, um, configured completely differently, which makes it seem like, um, from, from my perspective, and from you know other people I've talked to, really difficult to sustain because every every V block is different, and when you've got you know um, you know an environment out there like you know. Um, V-Block out there in every environment has different kind of configurations, it, it seems like it would be really hard to support and sustain. I don't know if you've run into that or not.
1: Well, you know, when V-Block was first announced, I remember it was Acadia back in the day, um, I, I was very skeptical. You know, and I wasn't skeptical of the technology. I was skeptical of, of buying habits. You know, how are you going to get the server team and the storage team and the network team all to agree at the same time on the same technology. Uh, and not to mention that, you know, uh, the EMC and Cisco and VMware guys all have different uh, uh, calendar years, quarters, and so when one of them is trying to close the sale, the other one's just getting started on the quarter, you know, what do you do when the EMC and Cisco people are fighting? And, you know, so all of these these challenges I saw, I, I, I wasn't too optimistic, um, but VCE, to its credit, you know, is a phenomenal organization. Fantastic salespeople, and and they were really fulfilling a need. The need, <laughs> despite all the challenges, uh, people were so frustrated with the challenges of a virtualized data center, with with trying to get the compute and the storage and the networking in in a timely manner and getting it set up and getting it work and and the troubleshooting issues that would come up with different manufacturers, pointing fingers, because of all that, VC was very successful. And, and I really look at it as the epitome of, of legacy three-tier infrastructure. You know, I, I think that they've just done as good a job as anybody could ever do in, in, a, in a three-tier infrastructure environment. But, you know, that being said, you know, some of the, the challenges you mentioned, and, 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 the, and there, there are many others, there um, you know the whole converged infrastructure terminology is really a misnomer. You know there's not a molecule of converged infrastructure and converged infrastructure. It's just servers and storage, um, like in in the in you know the the Vblock case, UCS and, and whatever flavor of EMC storage, uh, juxtaposed together. And there's an orchestration software and so on overwritten and one number to call. But you still have the different products, and they're still managed separately, different management planes. They're still taking up all the rack space, the, the power, the cooling. Um, and, you know, like you said, there's, there's issues around, um, you know, patching. And when you upgrade your version of ESX, now you have to upgrade the, the whole V-block. And, um, and these are, you know, this is not VC's fault. Like I said, I think they've done a phenomenal job. It's just they've taken the concept of three-tier infrastructure as far as it can go. and. Uh, yeah. Uh, there's a better way now
0: (laughs) yeah well are there any really kind of really cool examples of how Nutanix has solved some really like you know crazy or bizarre scenarios because I really love and I know that my listeners really love hearing some of the really more creative ways that um you know some of
1: uh, these companies that I, some of the people that I talked to solve some really interesting problems? Well, um, you know, I'm not sure that we're solving any problems that are, are new, but we're solving them in, in new ways. I mean, as an example, a very large retailer, you would know who they are, um, when they got some new executive leadership, the executive leadership uh, was touring the data centers and noticed you know the it guys uh buying uh time you know buying vms from aws using credit cards and and they said well what are you doing and, and they said, we're you know we're we're getting our vms that we need and they said well you know you're giving money to the guys that are trying to put us out of business and they said well you know we can order them from it but it'll take roughly six months uh or we can get them from aws Well, they'd be up and running in minutes and uh the CEO said, "Well, you know, we're not going to give money to AWS. Figure out another way." And uh, so uh, they brought in Nutanix, and um, it was already getting close to the to the Christmas season, so the time was really short. But uh, but they brought in Nutanix. We set up a private cloud environment for them, and uh, they had you know phenomenal success over Christmas. It worked fantastically, and since then they bought you know just a ton of more stuff, and uh, they've spoken for us and you know huge advocates. So, uh, you know, there's stories like that where we've kind of come in as an, as an abling technology for organizations. Um, uh, Empire Life in um, Canada, I, I did an ROI panel at our .next customer-facing panel last, um, last June, so, you know, a couple of c- companies I can talk about, and Empire Life was one of them. In their case, uh, they still have physical servers and virtual servers and, um, and even mainframes and uh, with mechanics, it gave them the economic capability and the simplicity they needed to get rid of all that and virtualize everything, and they saved so much rack space. Uh, you know, they, they did a before and after picture. You would crack up seeing it. They saved so much rack space that now they have the challenge with what to do with their data center space. And the last I heard, they may have decided, the last I heard is uh, that they were debating whether to put in a gymnasium for uh, employees to use or they did have a – uh, you know, a cloud provider that wanted to rent the space from them. So, <laughs> and, and that's a fairly common problem, actually, the organizations going into TX is they free up so much data center space they they have to figure out what to do with it.
0: Well, it saves a lot of power, too, I'm assuming. So you probably are extremely green. But have you noticed that, you know, green IT, you know, nobody really, even though virtualization, you know, kind of, um, you know, well, Originally, what it was, right, is everybody was saying, okay, well, if you virtualize, um, It's green IT because you're basically taking all of the power away from the end user. But um, essentially what you're doing is you're relocating that power utilization from the end user to the data center, and the data center was still using that level of power. And it sounds like what new next is what you're saying is that, you know, it's not utilizing as much um, of the electrical use. That um, you know we're used to, so it, it is truly green IT. Um, I mean, am I am I on the wrong track, or is that kind of you know in the in the right sphere of thinking?
1: No, you're absolutely right. Um, organizations that have green initiatives, uh, we absolutely facilitate those, uh, you know, with, with the Nutanix because we are. Again, you're not. So you know, a, a SAN is just using Intel storage controllers. Uh, which are servers essentially, um, and then you also have your servers for running your compute, so when you 're running three tier you're you're duplicating that effort you 're duplicating the power, running things across the network traffic, um, so you end up using a lot more power than you do with Nutanix, where uh, everything is is truly converged hyper you know we call it hyperconverged the industry calls it hyperconverged because it 's based around the hypervisor but 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 it's truly converged in the sense that way. Are consolidating redundant hardware and we're um, eliminating distinct management tiers, um, but but absolutely uh, from a green initiative. Now, in terms of a TCO ROI perspective, um, some organizations and, and I think organizations are getting better in this regard. But you know, historically, it's been well. My department doesn't have to worry about power costs, so I don't care. Um, but really, that's not so much the case anymore. I think everybody is. Kind of more aware of it, and it's an important thing everybody realizes and um and even if it doesn't directly affect their budget, typically I see i t shops uh uh you know that that's a bonus for them it's a benefit for them. Are you there, Linda?
0: Sorry. I think that's really a great idea, you know, and I love the concept. And Green IT's been around for a long time. It's kind of like a low-level, you know, kind of concept. It's like most companies are more about how are we going to solve this problem. I don't care if it's green or not. And now people are starting to care more about Green IT. And and I think that being able to say, hey, this is going to solve your actual problem. And, oh, by the way, it's Green IT. Um, you know, just makes it a little bit more attractive. So, I mean, what do you see as far as future looking? um, You know, where is um, Nutanix headed?
1: Well, this this whole concept of invisible infrastructure Mm -hmm. um, is definitely, uh, you know, what we are delivering today, but we'll get even more and more um, ingrained in everything uh, that we allow going forward, and that extends to the cloud. You know, so... Uh, we already include capability of of moving um, very simply of moving virtual machines to AWS, and you know it's been publicly talked about Azure's on the roadmap, and and all kinds of more capabilities are coming in that regard, and in terms of uh, you know we already do multiple hypervisor support, but again, and more capabilities around that era that area, so that so that organizations have it really seamless to be able to use the right hypervisor for the right workload, and and maybe that's uh, vSphere for mission-critical applications, and maybe it's Hyper-V for Windows servers, and and maybe it's Acropolis for everything else. But whatever uh, uh, is appropriate for the individual organization, uh, we want to enable it and make it seamless and make it uh, uh, portable.
0: Well, and you know, we were talking earlier about the whole thing, you know, um, the transition in the industry to becoming a service provider industry, and everybody's kind of outsourcing, you know, their, their um, Stuff to hosting providers. Have you guys considered? I know that you're very close partners with a lot of hosting providers, but have you considered getting into the hosting provider business?
1: You know, not that I'm aware of. Um, okay. Yeah, you know, we're as far as I know. Um, uh, you know, what's been discussed is um, just continuing to enable our partners to, to to host more efficiently, more effectively, and more profitably.
0: I gotcha. Well, the reason I was asking is because, you know, from uh, different people that I've been talking to with, um, you know, like at VMware and Citrix, um, you know, their, you know, long-term goal seems to be to not just um, provide, you know, VDI and applications to users, you know, uh, for um, business purposes, but also for Consumers, meaning creating consumer VDI desktop and consumer applications that people can, you know, that they can publish and people can get access to or they can put in the, you know, um, Apple iStore or the Android store and things like that. So that's why I was asking, you know, if you guys are going to kind of stay in the, you know, realm of where you're supporting the efforts of these other um, you know, cloud providers and these application, you know, um, developers who are changing the way people access you know, their applications and they're moving more, you know, with, You know, there's still going to be, business is going to be big business for a long time, don't get me wrong, but eventually it's going to hit consumerism and uh, a lot of these companies are looking at that as well. That's why I was asking.
1: Yeah, and I, you know, I mean, there's so much opportunity. The, the, the this total storage and server business IDC says per year is you know seventy four billion dollars i mean it 's just this massive massive opportunity, um, and the sand manufacturers are struggling now you know there 's lots of articles about there out there that you know they 're hurting um, and uh, you know we 've got just such an enormous opportunity I, I think the the efforts that we 're much more focused on are building our ecosystem and and that goes from, you know, smaller companies like V-Armor and Liquidware Labs to, you know, to, to Microsoft and, um, you know, a lot of the, the, the giant, um, IT organizations out there, um, Avaya, um, et cetera, so that we're, we're forming close partnerships and, um, and working to build, uh, you know, still more, um, simpler in the terms of, of, bringing in multiple components, you know, into kind of one interface and and making it very easy to to manage and deploy and grow an environment.
0: Okay. Well, and here's the thing. Um, As far as ROI, are there other people that work with you that, um, you know, besides you that people can get a hold of and your organization that can help them with, you know, coming up with the ROI and the TCO? I mean, have you passed that down? Um, to the, you know, other members of your team, or is this something that you're just kind of like the go-to guy for?
1: Well, um, so, you know, we do have separate people that are working on the tools, and, and they actually work under marketing, whereas I re- report under sales. So, uh, you know, we, we, work, we collaborate closely together, but they, they do own that, um, uh, that, that side of the business. Um, my team right now is me, uh, but I'm doubling it. You know, at least for right now, I'm, I am hiring a, another Gower guy uh, uh, to assist, and uh, I'm busy interviewing actually, you know, on a daily basis uh, to, uh, to 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 bring someone to help. But then also ultimately, you know, our objective is to really uh, enable our our reps, our SCs, and our partner uh, reps to do a lot of this, to do most of it, in fact. And you know, my team and I will be called in for the a really difficult, uh, specially customized type of engagements. Um, but, but we're hoping, uh, expecting the majority of, of opportunities will be able to handle by by the field as part of the normal business. Okay.
0: All right. So what is next for you? I mean, I know you said you're working on a book. Um, you know, is there, you know, besides the book, I mean, well, let me get back to the book when do you see that book being completed and, um, you know, ready for consumption?
1: You know, I don't know. When I, um, when I gave up the channel part of my job, mm-hmm. I thought, wow, great, I'm only going to have half the work now, you know. I'm going to be able to have so much more time. But within a matter of days, that was a fallacy and have less time um, just because, you know, there was such an explosion of requests <laughs> when people learned that I was more available, um, uh, so the answer uh, to the question is I don't know. Um, as soon as I can get some time, um, I'm going to focus more on it. You know, even my blogging has really suffered the last uh, two, three months. Uh, I just haven't had the time to put into blogging because um, I've been so busy doing analysis. And I love the analysis. They're they're great fun, and, and I learn a tremendous amount every time I do one. Um, but uh, hopefully once I actually get down to, you know, I, I've kind of written an outline and um, – I, I don't know if you've written any books, Glenda, or not, but it's, it's a horrendous process. It's horrible, and everybody I know who's written them agrees. Um, but, you know, uh, but I've done it a lot of times now, and so um, I, I think once I, I sit down and really put my mind to it, you know, it's a hopefully a six-month um, type of endeavor, and then we'll be done. Well,
0: I've written a lot, but I've never been invited <laughs> to uh, write, help, you know, co-write a book which, uh, by the way, if you ever need somebody to help you co-write a book, ping me because, you know, I'm a pretty good writer. But, You're um, an excellent <laughs> writer.
1: <laughs> I have no question there.
0: That's absolutely.
1: Right. I appreciate that offer.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's out there. It's out there in the universe. But, um, <laughs> you know, But what's next for you, you know, as far as, you know, um, life in general? Are you Are just going to keep trucking where you're at, you're happy with, you know, where you're at? Um, and also, are there any topics that you want to cover that, you know, kind of we've missed or that I didn't ask you about that you'd really like to get a message out about?
1: Um, well, in terms of, you know, where I'm at, I, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be building out uh, our team, which is, is now called strategic sales, but uh, thinking we're going to change it to client strategy, and uh, building out the team, I'm I'm actually working on some patents around some of the methodologies I've developed around uh, the specific uh, t and ROI and respect to hyperconvergence. And, you know, so those are the initiatives that, uh, and not to mention the book, that uh, will keep me busy for a long time. And, and now, you know, that I have a global role, you know, I'm off to Japan Monday and off to Australia the two weeks after that. And so uh, lots of travel and, um, uh, you know, good times Uh uh, meeting meeting. our, you know, when I joined the company, we had 50 people, and uh, the last published number I saw, which was some time ago, was 1,200 people. So, you know, we're just growing like crazy, and um, uh, so it's a great opportunity to go out and, and, and meet, you know, experts from all across the globe and and to help them and to learn from them. But um, the second, uh, any other topics? Um, you know, I, I think the only other really topic... Um, again kind of goes back to this whole idea of, of faster horses um because it, it is so prominent and it, and it kind of amazes me. you know i mean frankly i'm amazed that anybody buys an array you know <laughs> now that i've been at nutanix it hasn't been three years yet but two and a half years um and so steeped in it i just i just can't imagine anybody buying an array anymore um you know unless you're not running virtual machines but then i would ask well, why aren't you virtualizing them so um uh, just because you know, even all flash arrays, you still have to go across the network and the traffic, and you know the upgrade issues and, and everything else. And uh, so and to the me, it just a, yeah, what, what's
0: delays. that? Yeah, the, the delays, delays, the
1: time setting it up, and yeah. So I to, to me, it's just kind of unfathomable uh, as to why people are still doing that, but they are. And 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 obviously, you know, seventy billion dollar business a year, and they're still um, so, so they're they're still evaluating a lot of times their decisions within the the context of of that three tier uh architecture. And and I wrote an article um a blog post a few months ago called The Ten Ways in Which Nutanix is Uberizing the Data Center. And uh, you know whether you like Uber as a company or not, uh, and I don't think anybody can deny that they've really transformed uh the you know the, the transportation industry. Uh-huh. And you know but but if you do this thought experiment, you know, imagine going back in time 10 years, or not 10 years, 30 years ago, and uh, approaching a, uh, a would-be taxi pa- uh, passenger trying to fruitlessly hail a cab, standing in the rain, getting drenched. And, you know, you come up to her and say, hey, you know, guess what? There's going to be these new technologies, the Internet and uh, smartphones and smartphone apps and GPS, and this company called Uber is going to transform your experience so that it becomes – uh, predictable and simple and, and and pleasant, and and she would probably look at you skeptically because she lacked the context of understanding, you know, these new technologies and and how they could possibly change uh, her experience. And and so that's the same type of challenge uh, I run into from TCO ROI perspective with with data center folks and and p- purchasing and finance folks again just focused on you know cost per gigabyte or whatever you know, they're used to measuring infrastructure with and trying to show, them, you, know, you things are going to change so dramatically for you uh, when you put this in. And, um, and so it's really trying to figure out how, how we change their perspective to understand what this technology will bring. And, you know, we do it different ways, of course, with, with POCs, with whiteboards, with customer references. But, the, but from my perspective, I try and do it through the math through economics and and getting by by taking them through the process of understanding how um, you know Moore's law, for instance, you know you start small and then as you, you grow out your environment as you add more nodes, the density of virtual machines per node is continuing to increase because of Moore's law. So understanding things like that, understanding how uh, we can you can take new versions of Nutanix software and deploy them with one click, non-disruptively to your existing nodes, which are now going to run faster and they're going to have uh, more capabilities, more features, because we're all software-based. There's no proprietary hardware at all. Um, so, the, the, you know, using financial modeling to help organizations really understand the experience of of how uh, Nutanix WebScale um, is going to transform their lives. And and we hear that again and again. You know, Nutanix customers are just uh, tend to be wildly, um, you know, raving about the technology and are, are wonderful spokespeople for us and uh, uh, you know, speak for us and, and uh, participate in interviews and write, and and they just they just love it. And uh, IDC did a, a study for us uh, recently. We commissioned it, but it was independent. And um, the study showed that uh, on average, let me see, I actually have it here. Let me just call it up. Make sure I quote the right statistics. Um, So the IUC study showed that on average, um, for the 13 companies that participated in the study, that an average f- uh, ROI of 510%, an average payback of seven and a half months, uh, deployment of storage was 85% faster, management of the Nutanix environment was 71% less time than, than you know three-tier uh, legacy stuff, unplanned downtime dropped by 98%, planned downtime dropped by uh, uh, 100%, uh, no downtime at all with Nutanix because, again, you know, we don't have uh, you know, a single point of failure, a, a SAN and two physical storage controllers. We're, we're replicating two or three times all the, the, the data and all the virtual machines. Um, but the thing that I liked the most from the entire study was, was one of the quotes from one of the participants, and they said, uh, with Nutanix, 80% of my time is proactive. Before, it was like 40%. We're doing projects and other work with the saved time and creating business value. And to me, that really, um, encases, uh, in cases, uh, is the embodiment of what Nutanix is bringing to IT. Instead of having people spend you know the majority of their time babysitting hardware and, and worrying about patches and updates and expanding and scaling and downtime and all that stuff, we're getting rid of all of that, and we're letting IT people truly now user talents, user creativity, figure what can we do to make our organization more competitive, more effective, more profitable?
0: Well, it sounds like what you're saying is, is it, uh, that Nutanix is um, changing the entire paradigm from the top to the bottom, and um, including management overhead, including performance, including user experience. It sounds like what you're saying is is that it's pretty much changing you know
1: the way people do business absolutely yep exactly right okay and and you know so one other since we're on the whole, whole horseless thing or the horse thing uh one other kind of um analogy that i think is interesting is um you don't remember i don't even remember as old as i am but but back when um uh cars first came out they used to call them horseless carriages and um and that lasted for actually quite some time. And, and, you know, it's understandable why. It was people didn't know what a car was. A car was basically a horse and buggy without the horse. And, you know, I mentioned there's 32 people doing uh, hyperconvergence today. It's really funny how many of them still kind of look at hyperconvergence at, you know, Wikibon calls it server sand. You know, again, kind of relating it to what people know, it's relating to a SAN, but it's a server SAN. Well, it isn't. You know, it's like you said, it's a, it's a re- at least the way we approach it, it's a revolution top to bottom throughout the data center transforming uh, the experience. And, um, you know, we keep coming back to the terminology invisible infrastructure. At the end of the day, that's what we're doing. Um, you don't have to go to a cloud anymore. Uh, to get rid of all the hassles of infrastructure management. You can do it internally, and you can use the cloud where it's appropriate. You know, if you're going to set up a new web server and you don't know what kind of traffic you're going to get, if it's going to be small or if it's going to be millions of hits a day, you know, it would be kind of silly to build out the in- infrastructure internally, even with Nutanix, to try and account for the biggest potential scenario. I mean, that's a perfect example of, let's, let's put it in the cloud, uh, but where you have more predictable workloads uh, with Nutanix, uh you've simp- some phenomenally simplified the management experience and you brought the cost way down. So uh you know it's very competitive with the public cloud in that respect. And you know, that way you as a as an IT person you get the best of both worlds.
0: Well, uh,
1: I'm a fan of Nutanix, but um <laughs> you
0: know, we need to you know, we're getting close to our time. Um I, I would like to, you know, find out where can people? I, I mean, uh, look, you know, where can people find your comics? Where can people find your books? And where can people find you? As far as in the social realm, I know you've got the Save by the Bell blog you do. I know you're on Twitter. I know you're on a few different places, but um, I think, um, you know, from my perspective, they'll probably get a, a you know, with Save by the Bell and some of your comics and some of your books, they'll probably get a, a much better perspective or insight into um, that very complex brain of yours. <laughs> Do you want to share with yeah. us uh, how we can find you?
1: Yeah, let me add one more um, blog site. It's called Channel Disrupt. Uh, uh-huh. That's you It's know, really focused toward channel partners. Um, on Twitter, as you mentioned, I'm at ROIDude. Uh, that's probably the easiest way to get a hold of me. Uh, on LinkedIn, um, you can always uh, get me through my blog sites as well or or through Nutanix. Um, and I'm uh, yeah, very happy to assist uh, people in any way I can. OK.
0: What about your comics and your books? Uh, you well, the
1: comics out. are, uh, yeah, you know, the, I haven't written a new comic book for, for many, many years. Um, you know, I'll, just a real quick funny story about that. When I came out with the Virtual Man comic book series in uh, 2005, I started them. And uh, in 2006 at, at the VMworld uh, a general session, VMware actually animated Virtual Man and, and Jerry Chen, some of you may know him, uh, did the voice and, uh, and brought him up on the general screen, which was, you know, just thrilling to me. But they also had a cutout of Virtual Man where you could get your picture taken. And the great thing about that was they, they stuck it right near our competitor's booth. Our, our, at the time, we were still a very small business and our big competitor. So, so, so I love that. Um, but I you know, haven't done any new comic books in a long time. That's actually somewhere on my list, too, is to do one <laughs> for uh, web technology, but uh, nothing close. But you can, you can find them on Buy the Bell. I do have uh, links to the comic books um, Uh, The books are are kind of getting long in the tooth as well, but uh, uh, you'll definitely know when the uh, financial modeling book comes out. I'll I'll, I'll definitely make a big splash about it. It'll probably be really boring to most people, but, uh, you know, help you sleep at night or whatever.
0: Well, my big thing is is I think that you've been around so long that, um, you know, it might be a good idea for people who don't know who you are because you're not a flashy guy, you know, (laughs) you're you're not – I, you know, I hate to say it, but you're not one of those big attention seekers like a, a lot of people that are out there in the uh, industry right now, uh, sharing their opinions whether people like it or not. Um, and I think that you know, uh, you know, going back and looking at, at some of your historical, uh, you know, works would give uh, people some true insight into how you've actually. Um, helped shape uh, the environment that we live in today as far as, you know, um, virtualization, ROI, and, um, you know, uh, some of the stuff that you did, you know, had a direct impact on a lot of us, you know, and I think that uh, it's worthy of people going back and kind of checking out some of your... um, you know, historical works just so they get a concept of um, and and don't you know don't sit there and do the false modesty thing. But I, I think that you know people need to understand who you are and where you came from and and how you've helped shape the um, ecosystem we live in today.
1: Well, thanks. I appreciate that. Uh, hopefully, uh, there'll be lots of new content that'll be you know much more relevant uh, in our, our so dynamic industry. Uh, that uh, that will be helpful going forward.
0: All right. So um, you know, at R O I Dude on Twitter and um is it just savedbythebell.com, or what's the yep. web address?
1: Yeah, okay. www.savedbythebell.com. dot com.
0: All right. Well we will um you know end it here and I wanted to say I really appreciate you um, you know, doing this with me. You know, you're one of my favorite uh people in the industry and I know that you're pretty shy about doing things like this. And um I really appreciate you participating with this, you know, in this with me. And um you know, I'm a fan and you know, hopefully a friend. So Yeah.
1: Well, likewise, I really appreciate the opportunity, Linda.
0: All right. Well, have a great one and I will talk to you soon.
1: All right. Take care.
0: All right.